An important note about today's episode. It was recorded prior to the pandemic and subsequent quarantines, which we're currently in the midst of. We wanted to mention this because one of the things we talk about during this episode is not discounting your time. And under normal circumstances, I really think that people should be hesitant about ever discounting their time. However, the world is not currently working under normal circumstances. And we understand that people, of course, need to do what they need to do to keep their businesses going during this tough time. So as you listen to this episode, please keep in mind that it was recorded prior to current events. Thanks for listening, and we hope everyone is staying healthy. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Brands at Book Show, where we help creative service-based businesses build their brands and find more clients. I'm your host, Davey Jones. BTB regular Vanessa Kynes joins me for a conversation about five pricing mistakes I see businesses make. We talk through lots of different examples and scenarios, and we also try to dive into some related questions, such as in what sort of circumstances is it okay to offer things like discounts? All that and more in today's episode. Be sure also to check out the show notes and corresponding blog post that contains a few additional thoughts on this topic. And as always, I want to hear from you. Let me know what kind of content you'd like to see on the Brands That Book podcast as we move forward. To leave your feedback, head on over to the Davey and Krista Facebook page and send us a message. You can also send us a DM on Instagram at Davey and Krista. Now, on to the episode. Vanessa, welcome back. One of a number of podcasts we're, we're going to be recording, not today necessarily, it's a Friday afternoon. So I don't know about you, but this is the last work item before the weekend. I'm a little bit behind today, but yeah, I'll be wrapping up soon. We're also not really good at brevity. So trying to cram two into one slot or one hour yeah, is pretty tough for us. We've learned that lesson. So yeah. here we are. But today we are talking about five pricing mistakes. I know we have done an episode about pricing before. And the episode that we did on pricing, I think it was called Getting to Yes. And basically how to present your pricing, maybe a little bit of, of how to create your pricing. And these are more just a few mistakes that I see people making when it comes to pricing. And let me tell you how I started thinking about this or why I wrote this post. It's because I was at the barber, all right? And I went in, I didn't really need a haircut, but I was going to an industry retreat earlier this year. And I just wanted to make sure I didn't look like a bum, right? So I go to the barber, I sit down in the chair. I'm like, hey, listen, like, could you really just kind of clean me up, you know, take it off my ears, yada, yada. So the guy's like, fine. Uh, and it's a younger guy. He actually opened the shop. His parents helped him. His parents previously owned a barber shop in the area. So great little family spot. Really have enjoyed going there. So he's the owner. He's cutting my hair. It probably took him about the same time to do all of that as he normally does, right? But at the end, he was like, hey, listen, I think he charged me like 15 bucks. I think it's usually like... 20 maybe to get a guy's haircut. And I kind of stopped there and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, no, no, this is a terrible, I mean, first of all, there's other people here 
I took up time in his chair that he could have devoted to somebody else. And he did basically the same amount of work and he's giving me like a 20% discount. So anyways, thinking to myself from a profitability standpoint, I'm like, this guy can't just do this all the time. It's not profitable. All right. Do you have any initial thoughts on that story? Am I overreacting to this? Well, did you tip him well? I did. And so what I did was I tipped him the amount to get him to what I would normally pay him with tip, right? So he made out well, right? Like it actually turned out well. And I should say, like, I'm not, like, of course, there's something to be said for, like, I go in there a lot. Yeah, the recurring kind of subscription model almost. Yeah, and there's just something to be said, like, you know, he hooked me up. And so maybe that makes me more likely to talk to, and I have, I've like, you know, I've talked to other people about the shop in, in Annapolis here. So I get all that, but I was thinking like, you know, he could have charged me full price and I wouldn't have blinked, you know, and I would have been just as happy with him and the services provided and all of that. But it made me think that I see this mistake, I think, being made by a lot of service providers, especially. All right. And so one of the first things that I wanted to talk about was never discounting your get out of bed collection. Okay. You're going to need to explain what that means. Yeah. So we we talked a little bit about, I think, your get out of bed price in the first podcast episode we've done. If not, I've wrote about it in a blog post somewhere. I have a couple of blog posts about writing or about, I'm sorry, pricing now. So one's getting to yes. The other is a super simple guide to pricing. You can find those both on the blog. I'm sure they'll be in the show notes as well. But that lowest collection, and by lowest, I mean that that most inexpensive collection to me should be your get out of bed price. Like You shouldn't have a price that you're not willing to get out, like you're not happy to get out of bed that day and go work that job, right? And so occasionally I'll walk, I'll talk to, and I'm thinking of wedding photographers in particular here for this example, but it would apply to any service provider where they have a collection and they're like, I just really hope nobody books it. You know, it's like they're low collection. I'm like, I really just hope nobody books this collection. That collection shouldn't exist then, you know? We didn't want to, when we were wedding photographers, work anything less than seven hours. And the reason being is because we felt like we would have to rush to produce the quality that people would see on our website um, in anything less than seven hours. And so we decided like, hey, seven hours is our minimum. This is the price for our seven hour collection. If you want us to show up and only work six hours, that's I guess that's fine. But this is the collection, right? So that's what I call our get out of bed price. So for sure, you're not willing if someone comes to you and says, hey, I don't need that. It's a small, intimate wedding. There's not that many bridal, there's not that many people in the bridal party. You would say, not going to discount the service. I would say tough. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I wouldn't put it that way. But I would say, I'd say no, like this is our, so one of the things that we also had in our collections, and I use this as an example in, our, in one of those other blog posts as well, is our engagement sessions. We always did engagement sessions. We did complimentary engagement sessions because we wanted to build that rapport with people before their wedding day. It was just a valuable part of the experience. And of course, we'd have people uh, say, well, I don't need the engagement session. Can you take you know, X amount off as if, you know, whatever the a la carte prices of the engagement session. And we would just say no. And the reason being is because it was, uh, first of all, it was technically complimentary, right? And the second thing is, is we didn't want, we knew that that person would have a better experience. We would have a better experience if that person took advantage of the engagement session. Can you give an example of like how you would educate your client in a positive way? Take someone who's asking for a discount and turn it into someone who's excited to pay the full price. Like what's an example of an email response that you could give? 
Yeah, for sure. I think it just outlining. So in any case that that happened, and oftentimes it's over the Skype call. So we always did, Mm -hmm. and we still do for even for website design, a call before anybody books with us. And it's just going through that exactly like, hey, listen, we find that having done an engagement session just gets everybody comfortable in front of the camera. Your wedding pictures are going to look that much better. No one has ever come to us and has regretted done an engagement session prior to their wedding. Like nobody comes and says, oh, I really wish I didn't have those engagement photos. You know, even for couples who, you know, maybe they got an engagement session before they booked a photographer for their wedding you know, because it's in part of that relationship building between us and the client. So just explaining that to them, I would say 99% of the couples that booked us decided to do the engagement session. And really the only examples that I can think of were military. And so it just wasn't possible for them to get maybe back into the area to do the session. So that makes sense. um, That's good to have that exception. I like that. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking of, there's other examples too, but I don't want to jump ahead too far as I look into, because this ties into mistake number two, but in general, I think that your time, think twice before ever discounting your time. Okay. Products, you know, that don't have a time component to it and are a little bit more quote unquote passive. And I think, you know, how I feel about passive income, you know, (laughs) and uh, it's a little bit of a misnomer, right? I just think that, uh, so yeah, okay. Discount products, but services always think twice about discounting time because you're really giving up more, you know, for a couple to come to us and say, Hey, well, we don't need seven hours. We only need four hours. Can we get a discount? Well, what are the ramifications of that? Like, yeah, in one sense, you're making less money than you otherwise could, but not just that you're missing out on revenue that you can make off of a couple that would book your, you know, whatever your typical package is. And it's not like you can work a second wedding in a day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you're giving up that Saturday. And so who knows how many inquiries you might get for that date. And I think that something that's smart to think through is off peak times, you know? So for instance, the membership at our gym, we could get a membership where we could only work out between 11 in the morning and like three in the afternoon because those are their off-peak hours. And so they're really trying to get people in, I guess, during those hours. So it makes sense to discount that membership, right? Okay. Side note. I yeah. see that in the notes and I'm really dumbfounded by that. So do they like police you if you were to walk in? Like, does an alarm go off? <laughs> or are you basically going to get in and they figured it's I don't know. To me, it almost seems like a marketing play. Sure. And it might be a marketing play. It might be like a decoy (laughs) price. And I think the psychology of of pricing and selling is just fascinating. There's actually, I have a book right next to me, The Science of Selling, that I've talked quite a bit about on other episodes that people should totally check out. I think it's just you know, one of the most interesting books that I've read. So it could be a decoy price. I don't know if they police it because I don't have that membership, right? Like I have the, you know, the one where I can, you know, go wherever. And really the price difference between the two isn't super great, but just thinking through off season as well. So, you know, for a while we discounted weddings that were booked between December and March because it just wasn't a busy season anyways. We eventually stopped doing that because we just didn't like shooting between December and March, but, and valued kind of like that off season to build the business and all, you know, but Friday weddings, I know photographers who discount Friday weddings because to a certain extent, they'd rather work on a Friday, not give up a Saturday. And it's just a little extra incentive for somebody to book that photographer. So that makes sense. But, you know, discounting your get out of bed price, I think is almost always come back 
to, I think will almost always come back to haunt you. I know in situations where we've discounted our prices, both in paid advertising for Till, both in with Davey and Krista for brand and website design, and then also in the photography business, never have we ended the project, I think, and, and have said, oh, we feel really good about that. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that low hanging fruit too. Can I make a little confession? Yeah. Just a little confession. So I'm not a photographer. And many years ago, I wasn't a service-based provider. And so I actually went to someone and it was her side hustle. She did family photography. And I said, hey, can you take our photos and give me all the unedited images and I'll edit them myself? Like what would that cost? And she did it, which she probably, she said it was a weird request, but she did do it. And maybe she was being too nice. But I think that that's why it's really important to educate your clients on why your pricing is set as it is. Because I mean, that's an example of me. I'm not a rude person. I promise you, I wasn't trying to be rude. I was trying to save money on our kind of meager budget. But I think it is important, like you mentioned, in that call, in that client communication, that you show them the value they're getting by adding in that or by having that extra two hours or whether it's for getting more time and not feeling rushed. So just keep that in mind. A lot of us as non-photographers, like we just don't get it. So just educate us. Yeah. And I think that's important to recognize. And, you know, I think that one thing, and this, this is a little bit of a, a tangent, but I think one thing that we mistakenly do is like write people off who have lower budgets, you know, and it's not that they don't like, I'm thinking about when Chris and I got married, we had zero money, you know, a friend of hers shot the only pictures that we have of our wedding. Now, looking back, of course, having uh, just the experience that we've had, we of course wish that we had hired a photographer, but even if we could have hired a photographer, there was no way that we would be able to pay the prices that people had paid us when we were photographers, right? It just wasn't. But so do those people like Chris and I in our situation, do they deserve no photography because they can only afford a certain amount? And oh, that means that they there's no way they could value good work, yada, yada, yada. No, of course not. So I think sometimes we demonize clients like that maybe have a lower price point. But I do think that there is a burden on you know us as service providers, regardless of what price point we're at, to teach people or educate people on the value of your services. And then also just to understand, and I'm thinking specifically, we had I had a discovery call with somebody who was interested in website design, and I really want to work with them. And they seem really interested in working with us. But they basically had asked like, hey, is there anything that we can do on like basically is there anything that you could set up for us and start and then we could finish and maybe that would decrease the price a bit and eventually we went back and said hey this is the lowest price that we can go and the reason is i know from experience that this isn't like you're not going to have a great experience if we go this route and then it's not going to be a great experience for us and at the end of the project no one's really going to be super thrilled with the end result or the amount of work that you know you end up having to take on and, and maybe not realizing how much work that is so and that's simply what was communicated and there was no hard feelings about it right so i think people appreciate service providers bringing that to the table and just saying hey you know hey listen like an engagement session is important for this experience i know the value that you can get out of it. So I think it's a mistake if you don't, you know, take advantage of it. And, you know, as a side note, like, cause we're so good at that. A lot <laughs> of times you can create, like when you had that person, I don't know if our template would have worked, but creating products that kind of serve those clients that you can't serve in a one-on-one -on -one capacity that you can say, Hey, we may not be good for one-on-one, -on -one, but I do have a template service or you guys have like a customizing template, which is kind of like an in-between, right? 
versus a big custom brand. So it can give you ideas of ways that people can work with you, whether it's through one of your digital products or courses or group, I guess, coaching, if you provide that. So that's kind of interesting too, but I think you're right. Like you want everyone to walk away with a good service. And if you don't, then no one really wins. So exactly. you do have to look out for that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, like for, I mean, I think the editing and images thing, you know, that's a good example, right? Like if I give my images up to, you know, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not filing audio, I promise. But if I do, if I shoot, you know, like your family photos and I say, you know, and I agree like, Hey, I'll just give you the images, right? You're going to be editing them however you want to edit them. You know, so even though I took them, it doesn't really make sense to me to share those images anymore, right? Because they're not, you know, they don't necessarily reflect the aesthetic that I want to produce for clients. And so I think it's important to, to think through those things. And like, there's nothing better than finishing a project. I think feeling really, really good about it, knowing that you did a great job, knocked it out of the park, knowing that your client is super happy with it. And then realizing like, Hey, I can, you know, basically I have all this great stuff to show off for, you know, maybe years to come even that's going to book me more work. So yeah. yeah, I know people at the end of the day have to pay their bills. I know, and I'm not going to sit here and, and say that I've never discounted or offered a discount before or anything like that. You know, like I think part of the reason I know it's a mistake in a lot of ways is because I've done it before and I've been reminded that it's a mistake. So <laughs> There's definitely exceptions as we talked about, you know, that gym example, off season example. If you're just getting started, you know, in a certain field, like, hey, I don't think it's bad if you're just getting started to go and show up and do something for free, like once, you know, and then maybe even the next time do it for a little bit of a discount. I don't think you should stay that in that season for any extended amount of time, but I definitely acknowledge it's a way to get your portfolio going, right? So, yeah. yeah. Anyways, that's mistake number one, discounting your get out of bed service. And again, I don't mean to throw my barber under the bus. Great dude. And obviously like, I mean, to a certain extent, even more loyal to him that, you know, like he was willing to do that. But I just, you know, I hope for my sake and, you know, that he doesn't do that often, you know, because I want him to be profitable. Like I want him to stay in business, right? He knows you're a good tipper. That's why he made that decision. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the strategic decision. And the other thing too, something just about pricing, because we've gone on to so many side notes anyways, <laughs> I've been thinking about this more, especially as I hire people, okay? Like I want to know when I hire somebody and they're cheaper than they should be, I want to think to myself, okay, how many people would that person have to work with to be profitable? And that's an important question because if that number is like, oh, well, this person would have to be working with like 50 people, right? For their business to be operating, you know, at some sort of profitability, like how much attention really could they give me, you know? So, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like it's not, again, not like I'm never hunting for a deal, but I've actively <laughs> been thinking through that certainly in the last couple of years. And you should ask that about your own business, right? Like if I'm shooting a wedding, at for $500, like how many weddings am I going to have to shoot this year to be, you know, to feed my family and have, you know, margin for life and all of that. And that's not good for you. It's not good for your clients because you'll end up being burnt out. So something to keep in mind. Anyways, I feel like I've started this episode and I've been like up on my stool, like in my, my pulpit, you know? Down, yeah, exactly. I apologize. Yeah. So if I'm coming <laughs> off that way, uh, forgive okay. me. Know so that there are mistakes. Because I know they're mistakes because I've made them. So no, that's the place I'm coming from. We appreciate that humility always. That's why we keep coming back to the show. <laughs> so tell us that about mistake number two. True. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
tell us about mistake number two. Yeah, mistake number two, and a lot of these are intertwined, but not including a core service in each of your collections. And so if there's something that you usually charge as an add-on or people would have to pay extra for, but you end up doing it anyways 99.9% of the time, you should really consider building it in to your core service and then adjusting your price accordingly. All right. And I want to use a personal example first for the till agency. When you typically hire an ads manager, what you're usually hiring, again, this is, and it does vary, but what you're usually hiring is somebody to manage your Facebook ads. That means you create the ads, you hand it over to your ad manager, they run it and optimize it, but that's their job, right? They're not creating the ads themselves. And to a certain extent, they may not even be consulting, right? They might tell you, they may give you a report and maybe make some suggestions on how it can improve, but they're not consulting on the larger funnel, right? What we found for Till was that, you know, and that's originally, we always had the option for those things, but what we found was we would end up doing consulting anyways. One, because we want our clients to get really good results. Yeah, you want them to succeed. Yeah. 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 So we quickly learned, like, even though technically this was like a add-on service or whatever, it was a real bummer to have to go back to clients and be like, hey, you got to pay us for this advice. And it was something that we were ending up doing anyways. So we just decided to build it in to our retainer. We actually also made the decision to move ad development into our retainer as well. So we do all three of those things now at a, like a base retainer. And I think it significantly improved the experience that people have with our services. But it would have been unprofitable for us to be charging just ad management level service and also providing like all this extra time in consulting, right? So I would say if you're thinking of a, if you have a service that you end up performing anyways, anytime somebody hires you, but it's typically a la carte and people would have to pay for it, but you're doing it anyways, add it to your collections. Let me circle back to something you've talked about before, which was in the early stages of Till, you talked about how you did things that were not scalable. Mm. Like you offered insight, maybe it was something like a consult call on their funnel um, that they weren't necessarily paying for early on, but you knew would create this buzz about the success of Till and then also of their campaigns, but then also working with you. Do you feel like there's a shift at some point? Like maybe you kind of have things that aren't scalable at first that you don't charge for, and then you see the success in those and like the workflow for them, and then you add them onto your package? Yeah, I definitely think there's a shift there. I mean, that's kind of the shift that we went through with mm-hmm. Till. But I also think that there's things that maybe you do in the beginning that you do end up actually spinning out into its own thing. You know, for instance, and again, for Till, just because we've been talking about that as an example, there's probably certain things that we do now, especially in troubleshooting like certain integrations, you know, like for instance, like if somebody's giving a webinar, like it's not as simple, you know, if you've ever been on a webinar before, know that there's, and you know this, right? There are complex things happening on the back end of there. You know, there's, oh, yeah. it's connected to your email platform and, you know, there's probably different connections that are held together by Zapier and, and all of that. <laughs> yeah. And truthfully, we should probably charge for jumping in there and troubleshooting those kinds of issues because they do take time, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily fall within the scope of what we do. With that said, where we are now, which is still in a growth phase, I would say that, you know, we're busy, which is good, right? But it's still, we're hoping to grow even more. 
that it's just in our best interest to jump in and do that because it's going to help them have a one, it's going to give them a better experience. Two, we're not going to be held up because they're then trying to find somebody else to help them with those issues. But that would be an example, I think, of sort of a level of service that doesn't scale. Like if we had a hundred clients, like could we necessarily do that? Maybe we'd have, probably have to bring on a person whose entire job was just doing that though. Just setting up zaps. Well, I mean, yeah. it's good because when you're doing that, you develop a workflow and a system for it. You might even build something into your, your, you know, just whoever you hire to do that. And so, but at some point, it sounds like you have to charge that. It also, to me, if you put it into your package, someone who's never run a webinar before, say they're a solopreneur and they have a VA and they're working with Till, at some point they come up to this webinar problem, they're not even aware of all the pieces involved. And there are a lot of pieces. Look, I love to run a webinar. I love that aspect of it. But like you're getting to tell them in advance, like here are the things that you're going to have to have set up and you get to say, and we're going to take care of that for you. So again, it's kind of that like custom hotel experience, like your luxury experience that takes it off their plate. Yeah, for sure. Another example, just for uh, you know, other service space type businesses, it worked with brand photographers. I did some coaching with brand photographers, and they were going through their pricing, and the, you know, they mentioned that styling was something that they felt like really set them apart as brand photographers. And you know, so they had this upsell for styling, like they would do all of the design and styling if you paid them X hundred dollars. And one of the first questions I asked them was like, well how often do you end up doing that anyways? Because you know that if you step in and offer your expertise, like the pictures are going to be that much better. And it was like, you know, uh, nearly a hundred percent of the time. Right. So they built that into their service. And I think it ended up being a really good move for them because one, they're providing a better level of service to people. And to a certain extent, it's so core. It's really core to their service because it sets them apart, right? Like this is an intangible that they bring to their service that really makes them special. So I think people are more willing to pay their higher prices knowing that that's going to be offered. And it does take a little work because by doing that, right, they had to raise their prices to account for that. And of course, if you give people option between a lower price and a higher price, you know, the one that, oh, well, I don't need the styling and design, right? Well, you know that they do, right? And so that goes back to that, what we were saying earlier about discounting your get out of bed price. It's like, hey, I know that you're going to benefit from my expertise. All right. And so they're just going to have a better experience and everybody's going to be thrilled at the end of the day. And so I think that's what should drive us in, you know, being upfront with our clients about those sorts of things. You may not know the answer to this. I don't know if you just chose $100. You said that they had like a $100 add on to do the styling. Having done my own brand photo shoot, it is a ton of work to plan for. Did they end up adding that into their package at more than $100? Let's say like scaled it to $300 more. Do you know? I don't think I said $100. It definitely is not worth $100. No. So I don't know where you got that. It definitely wasn't a $100 increase because that's a $100 increase for something like what they do is a pretty small increase. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can listen back over the sound clip. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 So I'm hoping if it was, then I misspoke because it was several hundred dollars uh, okay, at least. You said several hundred. I guess my point was, if you just have an add-on for, like on the side that you can do a la carte, I think you could probably scale the cost of the service as you build it in even more than just having it as an add-on. Would be my guess. Sure. Yeah. I think you could do that for sure. I also think too, but another strategy is having the a la carte price of it being more. Okay. 
Yeah. You know, and then it makes the collection price seem like a better value. So that's also a strategy when it comes to, you know, splitting things out. I mean, for instance, like we still offered engagement sessions a la carte, or we had a standalone engagement session price, but they were built into every collection. So, you know, and then of course that was at a premium because it would require like an extra session of us where we knew we weren't going to get the income of the wedding. So yeah. Anything else about that? We're moving on to mistake three. No, I think it's a great point to show how people who are starting at one point in their business and they want to, well, actually that does move into another point. So I don't want to get to that, but just how you can continue to improve your service because really that's the key and that's going to give you what stands out in a saturated market. Yeah. So jump into mistake number three, that you haven't identified your most profitable customers or you're spending too much time on your least profitable customers. And because you haven't identified your most profitable customers, you're spending too much time on your least profitable customers. And I think this just goes back to another reason why you shouldn't discount your services or certainly that get out of bed price because, and maybe if you're listening and you're thinking about an example or a time when you've discounted your bottom collection, tell me it's not true that those people end up usually requiring the most time. So true. I think so. I mean, hopefully the people who are listening right now haven't made that mistake before. And so this is your warning not to. But I think in almost all situations where we've been talked into some sort of discount, that customer or client has become or becomes the most, just the most needy of our time, right? It just, that project becomes, yes. Yes, that's well, all I have to say about it. It's probably because it doesn't get finished because they say, no, we will work on these aspects of it if you sure. provide these deliverables. But then life happens. Their assistant, or maybe they're just poor time managers. And in the end, the project doesn't get done and they're coming back to you. And you're like, well, wait. And this is probably a good time to talk about having a good contract, but that you can't just swoop in and take it over, even though that's what they wanted in the beginning. So, yeah. Yeah. Something else to say about that. I mean, just leaning on some till agency experience because it's uh, mm-hmm. such a recent experience is, you know, when we started till agency, we just assumed that we were going to serve a certain type of clientele and we ended up serving or taking on a few clients that didn't really fall within that, the type of business we assumed we were going to work with. So I'm talking about SaaS businesses in general. So software as a service. So we took on a couple of software as a service businesses and we ended up getting great results for them. And they ended up being some of our best clients just because they were having a great experience because we were getting great results for them. And we were having a lot of fun because we were getting great results for them. Right. So, you know, without going back and kind of looking at, okay, here are the types of clients that are churning. All right. And so whenever you have somebody, if you're a service provider that works on retainer, so somebody pays you a monthly fee to do, you know, whatever it is that you do, people who cancel, you know, are people who churn. All right. So we were looking at the types of business that were churning, the types of business that were doing really well and continuing to scale. And then it gave us a lot of, you know, by going through that exercise, we determined like, hey, these are our customers that are doing really well, that we're serving really well. And these are the customers we want to go after. So we've very much shifted our marketing efforts to target more of those clients. But that shift isn't possible, right? If you're not paying attention to those things. Yeah. What kind of things did you notice about the higher churn rate clients? Yeah. So just... uh I can talk about this. For a till agency, <laughs> what we notice is a lack of experience with Facebook ads. And you would think like, oh, well, wouldn't they be your best clients because they don't know what they're doing? That's not usually the case. I would say that like some of our best website design clients are people who built their first websites themselves. 
right? Because they realize exactly how much work goes into it. You know, somebody who's never tried building a website before doesn't really understand how much work goes into it, right? Um, And I think the same is true of Facebook advertising. Like somebody who's actually spent some time in Ads Manager understands the maintenance that goes into a campaign and then optimizing the campaign and scaling that campaign. You know, it's easy enough to jump on a Facebook platform and get results for a single campaign for a certain amount of time. But there's, you know, things inevitably come up and there's adjustments that have to be made. So people who had done some sort of Facebook advertising before or had experience with Facebook advertising, that was something that we recognized. People who came in with low budgets, you know, and again, that sounds, maybe that doesn't sound how I want it to sound. But what I mean by that is if you are spending $5 a day on Facebook, then you're going to see volatility in your results. Some weeks are going to be really good. Some weeks are going to be really bad. It's going to take a really bird's eye view over a long amount of time to understand like what's working and what's not just because you're not getting enough data on that kind of spend, right? So, you know, and we, and we made adjustments from there. We said, you know, that way during a discovery call, I could say to people like, hey, you know, here's our fee. Here's what we recommend for starting ad budget. If you can't devote at least this amount per month, then we're probably not the best fit for you. It's not a matter of like, oh, well, we just don't want to work with, you know, people with low ad spend. No, that's not the case at all. And hopefully one day we'll have a product available for people right. who find themselves in that boat. It's more so that, again, I know that person's not going to have a great experience, right? And when they're not having a great experience, I'm not going to have a great experience, right? So it just allows us to be more upfront with people as we get on calls with them and whether we figure out, I mean, it truly is like, I mean, to me at least, both on the website design side and the ads management side, like when I get on a discovery call with people, it is truly a discovery call. Like I'm trying to sort out, (laughs) hey, are you a good fit for me? And uh, am I a good fit for you? And I think that's an important part of the process. So yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, I know it really does. And I mean, I would encourage people listening to the podcast right now. It doesn't mean that like Facebook ads aren't for you and you should just give up the search, but Mm, to know that there are different levels of the types of campaigns that you run and maybe a DIY option through a course is good for you. Or I don't know if Till does this, but there are console calls where you could get yeah. advice on how to do it and run it yourself. So exactly. don't be discouraged by that. But I think from Till's standpoint or Davey and Chris's standpoint, like you have, you're focused on your profitability too and what works. So there's a service for someone at every level. And it's a matter of like covering our retainer too. Like if you're only spending sure. $5 a day on Facebook, then you're going to have trouble. You might get a positive ROI, but that positive ROI doesn't also cover what you're paying us for the retainer, right? So yeah. we want to make yeah. sure uh, you know, it's important to us that our clients win, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and I hear that all the way. Yeah, yeah. And you can get some short-term gain in like tricking people into work with you, but it's not going to work out long-term if you do that. And so that's why we try to be as upfront with people about, hey, you know, in our experience, we've been able to get or not get results for people in your industry. And this is why or why not you're a good fit for us, you know? So... Look at us. See, this is why we don't record two episodes in a single session. We provide a lot of value always. I I think so. I think so. So points four and five, I think that they really, uh, there's a lot of overlap here. Point four, too few or too many price points and not incorporating any pricing psychology. All right. So that's the first one we want to talk about. And then point five, not optimizing customer value. I'll talk about it in a minute why or how price points play into that. But what do you think about pricing psychology in general? 
Well, we did talk a lot about this. I think we were talking about sales pages. You can probably include the episode in the notes. But we did talk a lot about how you can overwhelm your client by just having too many options. We all go to like IHOP and it's just, there's like 400,000 options on the menu. And honestly, it really hurts my experience. When you go to a fine dining luxury restaurant, usually it's like four or five different entrees. So there is some pricing psychology there and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, for sure. And I think at a place like IHOP, like it's kind of okay. You know, I mean, it does hurt your experience in the sense that you never make up your mind what you want and you take a thousand (laughs) hours looking at the menu, trying to figure out, you know, what's what, but you know, because of the price point, maybe you go in there and kind of, you just kind of, you can get over that because of the price point. Right. Whereas if you were going to do the same in a fine dining experience, then maybe you feel like you missed out on something else because you chose what you chose. Something else about fine dining restaurants. Have you ever noticed that they don't include dollar signs? On. Yeah, it's always that fancy italicized 19 and the little line. Exactly. <laughs> and why do they do that? Why do they do across the board? Because it doesn't feel like money that way or as much like money that way. Or sense um, communicate cheapness, like you're arguing yeah. over 50 cents or zero cents. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. That's a good point too. That's yeah. a really good point too. So they drop the dollar sign. And then also, I mean, typically when you go to a restaurant, you're not spending thousands of dollars <laughs> in the same vein. You know, if you ever have purchased a service that is thousands of dollars, they often drop the comma because it looks cleaner that way, right? Sevens and nines with uh, pricing, you know, like why are things, why are courses that you buy $497 and not just $500, you know, because it actually makes a little bit of a difference, right? It can get tricky too, you know, like just because if you're a service provider, then offering a service at, uh, you know, $29.99, it to a certain extent almost sounds cheap, right? <laughs> at that point. So, I mean, there's definitely some, uh, some, I think, instances where some of these examples work and some of them don't. But I think picking up a book like The Science of Selling or just doing some research on pricing psychology can go a long way. And if you're doing things at scale, like, you know, an increase in three to 5% is, in revenue, you know, in sales is a huge increase, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but looking at PayPal and Stripe and other bank fees at the end of the year, it makes me sick. <laughs> it honestly, I think about it all the time because it's such a small percentage, but just, yeah, no, I do. I've already filed. I mean, I guess most of us have like working on my taxes and just mm-hmm. looking at that number. I'm like, wow, like, Wish I had that model, you know, yeah, just a little right? bit of money. Wasn't it Office Space, the movie where they were stealing like tiny little uh, values of money and that that was going into like a bank account? Do you remember that movie? Office I do Space? remember the movie, but I only remember one scene. So I'll have to go back and watch it. But, you know, that's what kills you. I mean, that's subscriptions. That's why there's like literally subscriptions you can purchase that identify subscriptions that you might not have used. Right. It's yeah. because that's the little, uh, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. But <laughs> Anyways, having, so pricing psychology, I think matters. And then too many or too few price points. And I think that, again, this goes back to the psychology of it. There was a great example I've included in another podcast episode, so I'm not too worried about it here, but basically a a study done with samples at a grocery store. And the idea was, you know, the first time around they put out like 20 plus samples and then see, you know, how many of that you know, let's say it's jams or something like that, how many jams they sold at the end of the day from that sample table. Then they put out something like less than seven or less than six. 
and then they sold, they end up selling more jams, right? Because when you don't have that many options to choose from, it's not as overwhelming. And so people make a decision more easily, you know, decision fatigue. I kind of wonder, I don't know if the book talks about this. It just kind of came in my head. Is there like a number our brain can only categorize? Like when I think about the Olympics, we have gold, silver, and bronze, like beyond three, is it really that profitable to like come up with more options? I mean, you might need five, for example, yeah. but beyond five, I can't imagine your brain can even keep up with all the options. I mean, this book is interesting. It talks about a couple of different scenarios and studies and things like that, but decoy prices. And, and then the other thing is, you know, just having more than one price, like we think, oh, well, one price would be super simple, right? Like that would be the simplest of all, but the brain actually needs something to compare Mm. quality against, you know? So by choosing this, am I, what am I missing out on? So by having that second option, you can make that evaluation. So another really fascinating thing when it comes to pricing, I generally tell people like if they're asking for advice around creating collections, like somewhere between three and five is probably good. And I think like you, I usually fall into the three different options camp because I think it's easier for people to wrap their heads around. But even places we go where there are a ton of options, like think about Chipotle. There are, you know, at the end of the day, me and you, there are a thousand different options. Like our burritos could look very different. Computations, we, like is the math. Exactly. Number. Yeah. <laughs> computa- thank you. See, this is why. Permutations, I don't permutations, know. Computations, computations. There are a thousand different options, right? But yeah. the way they make it, it's just a series of small decisions. So yeah. are you doing a burrito bowl or are you doing a burrito, right? Like- so you're only making one or two decisions at a time. And I think that if you have a complex service where there truly are lots of parts, breaking it down in a, in a way where people only have to make one decision at a time, I think it's going to result in a higher conversion rate. Okay. I've never thought about that because you're right. If they said, if you just had to show up at the counter at Chipotle and give your whole order at once, oh. it would be so overwhelming. Even if you know, even if you order at the same time or the same thing every time, which is what I would do, but you're right. They give you two options, black or pinto, guac or no guac. Yeah. So that's such a good point. I assume that's totally like that they looked that up and that that's built into their business model, but and it's there's brilliant. Yeah. There's so many other like restaurant type, you know, like I know there's pizza restaurants now that do something similar. So, I mean, even where you think you're making, you know, if you think of one of your favorite places to purchase from, my guess is even if it is a relatively complex purchase, they've broke it down in a way that makes it simple. And to me, you know, when I'm thinking about conversion, I'm thinking like, this is what makes upsell so powerful. When somebody's about to buy something and you say, Hey, do you want this too? Then all of a sudden you have that reevaluation. Like then they have to step back and say, okay, do I, you know? And who knows at that point whether they complete the purchase. However, if somebody purchases something and then they're met with the upsell, then they've already made the decision to purchase and now they can make the the new evaluation of, okay, do I want whatever this add-on is? And that's why things like upsells are so powerful. And that's also why upsells are presented after the purchase is made. If you ever bought anything online, my guess is that you saw some sort of upsell afterwards. I'm like one of those people who I see past the upsells. I'm like, no. So it never works on me, but I do feel like there are a lot of people who are just like happy to just keep adding it to their cart. Thinking of all those upsells lining the grocery order. One of my favorite examples is now that we've moved to a lot of online shopping for groceries is when I go to check out, they often send me to a page of, Hey, like you've ordered all these other things in the past. Are you sure you don't want these as well? So yeah. 
this is another way of like getting you to, to make those impulse buys. Yeah. yeah. Or just increase the value of your cart. So. Oh, for sure. And so all those impulse buys you see at the register. And I would say that in an online setting, you know, you almost take away those choices. Occasionally you have what's called a bump offer. So you might go to check something out and then you see a special offer that increases the total price, but maybe you get, you know, you get whatever at a discount. So, I mean, there's all sorts of ways uh, to increase customer value, but this is why I was saying that it ties uh, into that conversation. Yeah. Having more than one price. So for instance, you might think you might put together the perfect wedding collection and think, this is the wedding collection that everybody should purchase. No one really wants albums and two duplicate parent albums and, you know, uh, eight by 10 prints or whatever it might be. But I think what we realize is we're doing a little bit of projecting of maybe what we value. And the truth is, is that some people do want all the bells and whistles. And so coming up with different price points, and maybe you do this with your course, I'm not sure, but I don't know. Is there an option of your course having like some one-on-one time with you or group coaching time with you? So I do like an urgent, like the last launch, I did something during the webinar. If you purchase by this point in the webinar, then you'll get a one-on-one. Yeah. So I do it more in an urgency way. Yeah. So that is a little bit different. different. Yeah. A little different, but like, let's say your course is priced at, what's your course priced at during a launch? 347. Okay. So 347. Let's say that you added an option that included an audit, like a personal audit that you screen record of a Pinterest account and you could get that for 499, right? Yeah. Chances are that you might only sell a small percentage of those you know, relative to how many you sell at the 347 price point, but that doesn't matter. I mean, even if only one out of every 10 people, I mean, that would still be a huge, like that would be a big conversion rate on an upsell or something like that, even though this isn't technically an upsell, but you don't need very many people to convert at that. Right. And the people who do though, they bring more value because that's something they want. Maybe you had another option that was 997. It included the audit, but then it also included a 30 minute phone call from you. Right. Like some people want that sort of handholding, whereas other people just want the content and then they'll take care of it on their own. But by just providing that option, it doesn't take any additional time from you. Right. But if only during a launch, three, four, five people out of hundreds, if they purchase your course, right, that's still worth it because you've priced it appropriately to account for your time and all of that. So optimizing customer value, what's my favorite example of a industry that optimizes customer value? Car washes. Car washes. You know me so well. By the way, is Jack into the car wash scene yet? Like, Does he get excited when you go inside one? Okay. So the current car wash that we go to, we typically don't drive through because they also vacuum, you know what I'm saying? And this is because we are a sucker for the upsell, right? Like (laughs) we go in and they're like, Hey, we can just do your exterior for $29, but for $32, you know, we can also, I don't know, wipe down your interior windows and, or the interior part of your windows. And, you know, for $35, we can vacuum for you. And all of a sudden I've done all these mental, you know, I come in just because the outside of my car is dirty and I leave with a a vacuum. It does. It works on me all the time. Right. And, you know, I want whatever that coat is that protects my car from whatever it protects it from. Right. I sound so like go- such a snob here. I really, this is like a, this is a, like a $30 experience. Not the $30 is no money at all. And I don't go often. So, so do you do the one there. where you get out of your car and you go inside and they have like free popcorn and like drinks? 
this place does have free popcorn. They don't have free drinks, but they do have free popcorn. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's providing a great client experience. I usually just drive through. I'm a sucker. I'm like, what is the basic one? If you know Vanessa, I'm like so practical. So it yeah. never works on me. <laughs> See, and part of it too is with, I mean, I'm sure you experience this with kids though. Like, and especially, I guess your kids aren't in car seats anymore. Are they? They are. I think you're going to go vacuuming. Uh, yeah, they're all in front facing. Yeah. And yeah. they're a little bit older. Like Jack's at the age where, first of all, he's doing this funny thing now where he gets in his car seat and immediately takes his shoes and socks off. Like, I don't <laughs> know. Like, I'm like, dude, like we're going to get out of the car in five minutes. Like, it, which is, yeah, it's that's funny common and, cute. and frustrating. Yeah. Until yeah. it's like raining outside and you're like, ah, uh. but anyways, you know, but his shoes rub up against the seats yeah. and leave yeah. like that stain. And I don't want that there. And then, yeah. you know, Cheerios, he has this thing where I think you actually introduced us to this, where you stick your hand in and it's supposed it's to a snap trap. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But what he exactly. does is he pulls his hand out with such force that Cheerios, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, he has some in his hand, but other Cheerios just go flying everywhere, right? So those are all over the car. So I'm always like, okay, I just need to get this thing vacuumed. To the side note of this conversation, yeah, my car looks like a disaster, but I also drive really old cars. I'm just one of these like people who sticks with it. And I always go to the free vacuum, but I make my kids do it because, you know, like yeah. teaching them to earn it. So, but I do think about that. Our other car is a lot nicer. And my dad's always like, Vanessa, you should, you know, run it through the car wash <laughs> behind your car. It's a nice car. So we take better care of my non sure. van car. So I think reading between the lines here, if you're listening, like you definitely should model your purchasing behavior after Vanessa <laughs> when it comes to some of these things. And don't get me wrong. I would say that Krista and I are also you know, Dave Ramsey, we're on the Dave Ramsey. Ramsey. Yeah, exactly. Train. So don't get me wrong. We're not like luxury spending, but I will say, especially where we're building, we have, oh, go ahead. Oh, you muted yourself. You even took care of it. Look at that. It was quick. I feel like I shouldn't even, if you're wondering what happened, Vanessa just needed to sneeze, which I usually would edit it out, but, uh, and you didn't hear it because you muted it. I'm I'm impressed with your reaction time there. That was awesome. So thank you. Those are the five mistakes that I wanted to talk about. You know, I hope that, you know, if you haven't made these mistakes, that you don't make these mistakes in the future. I think the one, the first one that we talked about is the one that almost everybody will deal with at some time is somebody coming and saying, Hey, if we did this, would it cost this? So be aware of that. Know that you should have a good reason for, you know, making deals like that. And yeah, Vanessa, thank you again for spending time on the Brands That Book Show. I love it. Thanks so much for having me. Yep. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Brands That Book Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review in iTunes. For show notes and other resources, head on over to deviancrista.com.